Amen. So we are continuing our study in James. But before we get into that, I want to just praise the Lord for something that I heard happen this week. I was talking to Betty and Mike, and I know Dan and Sharon were helping with this too. But our senior adult ministries had a wonderful service on Thursday. Mike actually led and talked about some great subjects and everything, and people really enjoyed it. Um, we had 24 people here, which is great. We haven't had that many in our senior adults since, um, since COVID. So we just want to praise the Lord for what he's doing. And I'm just so glad to see God working in our church and in the lives of people. So thank you, Dan and Sharon. Thank you, Betty and Mike, for your leadership in that. And I just want to praise the Lord for that. Well, we are studying James. Um, and... Uh, couple things just so that you know about James. Um, we have to know who this is. This isn't the brother of John. It's not one of the disciples. He actually is a pastor in the church of Jerusalem. And oh, by the way, he just happens to be the brother of Jesus Christ. So he has a lot to share with us about the Christian walk, walking on that higher ground that we sang about, standing on the promises of Christ my Lord. He has a lot to share about that with us today. His audience are Jewish Christians who are scattered due to the persecution that's going on in the early church. So the people he's writing to are discouraged, they're dismayed, they're depressed. How many can relate a little bit to his audience? I know I can in my life. And so a lot of his words are encouraging, but they're also an admonition for us to live our life in action. In fact, his goal is to call those Christians to put their faith in action. You should not just say what you believe. You should live what you believe. And you'll see that over and over. And he, his writing, which I really love, is a combination of, when you read it, you'll, you'll get a feeling of the Sermon on the Mount and even the Old Testament book of Proverbs. And today, the verses that we're going to read, we're going to see both the Sermon on the Mount and the Old Testament book of Proverbs that influences James as he's writing to us today. So buckle your seatbelt. Let's get into what James is talking about today. Our scripture today is James chapter 3, and we're going to read verses 13 through 18, where James talks to us about that Old Testament Proverbs book's theme, wisdom from above. Let's stand for the reading of God's word. And I think they're going to put the scripture, yes, there it is. All right, let me read this to you. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but it's earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. Dear Heavenly Father, <clears throat> I ask that you be with us today. 
Help us to learn what it really means to have wisdom from above. Not the wisdom of this world, but wisdom of abo- from above. And help us not only know what that wisdom is, but live it in our lives each and every day. We ask this in your name, the name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. So James begins this section of scripture, and he really, you'll, you'll see this theme in James. He wants to know, is your faith at work? Are you living your life of Christianity? And he asks these questions. He wants to know, does your faith allow you to rejoice in trials? Sometimes that's hard for us to grasp. How can we rejoice in trials? But when we know our joy, the joy of the Lord is our strength, we can rejoice no matter what our circumstances are. Does your faith help you overcome temptation? Pastor Jeremy did a wonderful job showing us how our faith should help us overcome temptation. Does your faith allow you to be a doer of the word and not just a hearer? Does your faith help you to be impartial and unbiased? Um, Pastor Sarah did a wonderful job talking about that. Does your faith allow you to have living faith? Not dead faith, but living faith. And does it help you control your tongue? Pastor Jeremy did a wonderful job talking about that last week. This week, James is asking us, does your faith allow you to have wisdom from above? So James begins this whole section of scripture by asking a question. His question to the audience is, who is wise and understanding among you? Now, he wants his audience to raise their hand and say, me, me, I'm, I'm wise, I'm understanding, and that's what he wants. If you are wise and understanding, then show it by the good life, by the deeds done, and the humility that comes from wisdom. If you're the one that raises your hand and says, yes, yes, I'm wise, I have understanding, then James wants you to demonstrate that wisdom. You see, James is all about action, not words. Too many times we have a lot of Christians who say a lot of words, but don't live that life of action. James calls us to live a life of action, not words. In fact, it's important for us to understand the difference between wisdom and knowledge. We live in a world that is consumed with knowledge. And knowledge is information and facts. I think every one of us, or most of us, have a smartphone. So you can easily go to Google and get all the information and facts that you need. This is not wisdom, though. Knowledge is just information and facts. I know a lot of people who are very smart. They've probably forgotten more things than I've ever learned. And they have a lot of information and facts, but they may not necessarily be wise. What's wisdom? Wisdom is the application of that knowledge. According to James, it's how you live your life. If you know a lot of facts and know a lot of information, that's great. But how do you apply that? How do you live your life each and every day? And according to biblical wisdom, Biblical wisdom is seeing things from God's perspective. I think the book of Proverbs really puts it best. In Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10a, it says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That's where real wisdom comes. And even though we live in a world that's full of knowledge, I think we live in a world that lacks wisdom. And we as God's Christians, We as God's people who are called to be salt and light in this world 
need to demonstrate and live a life of wisdom today. In fact, when you look at the scripture that we read this morning, James is telling us a tale of two wisdoms. On this side, there's human wisdom or earthly wisdom. And that is one choice that you can make today. And then on this side, there's God's wisdom. There's heavenly wisdom. We as a church stand in the crossroad. Do we choose the wisdom of the world or do we choose God's wisdom? I hope today as we look at these verses that we choose God over this world. Because a lot of people, unfortunately, are influenced by the world and it's pulling them and conforming them to the pattern of this world where God says, no, you need to have wisdom from above. You have a choice to make. Are you going to choose the wisdom of this world or the wisdom from above? That's what James is asking us today. So let's start by talking about earthly wisdom. This is found in verses 14 through 16. And if you look at how James describes earthly wisdom and wisdom from above, he describes the origin, the operation, and the outcome of earthly wisdom and wisdom from above. Let's start with earthly wisdom. The origin, according to verse 15, is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. One thing I love about James, he does not dance around the subject. He tells it like it is. He says that the earthly wisdom is earthly, it's unspiritual, and he even says it's demonic. That's pretty bold for James to say. And you might say, well, what's going on there? And, and I look at how he describes it with those three words. It seems to get worse and worse. It starts with earthly, then it gets unspiritual, then it gets demonic. So what is James really saying? And I think as you look at the earthly wisdom and you look at how Lucifer was cast out of heaven, there was arrogance about Lucifer. He was self-centered. He was all about advancing himself. And I think that's what we see with earthly wisdom. It is all about one note song. Me, 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 me. It's all about arrogance. It's all about me advancing myself. It's all about being self-centered. And that's why it's earthly. It's unspiritual and it's demonic. In fact, if you look at verse 14, what is the operation of earthly wisdom? He says it's bitter envy. He says it's selfish ambition. It's boastful. It denies truth. It's the picture of two, two friends going into business together. And they, they start to build this idea to help customers. And pretty soon as they work and work together, they start to get selfish. They get envious of one another. And pretty soon they bring in lawyers and have to, to, to basically tear down the company and sue each other because of their own bitter envy and self-ambition, boastful and denying truth. That is what earthly wisdom leads to. I think of lifelong friends who loved each other in high school, got to know each other in college, but then somewhere along the way, bitterness and envy and selfish ambition tears them apart. That is what earthly wisdom does each and every time. And what does James say the outcome of that is? It's disorder and every kind of evil practice. You don't have to look too long in this world to see people are all about themselves, all about self, all about bitter envy, selfish ambition, all about that because 
we are so self-centered when we live in the wisdom of this world. That's why we are told in the Bible that we as Christians are in the world, but not of the world. You see, the earthly wisdom, if we aren't careful, will influence us and start to get us going down that road of self-centeredness. Whereas wisdom from above is Christ-centered rather than self-centered. I think of this phrase, we are in the world and not of the world. Something that Evan and I love doing when we go on vacation is getting a boat in the water. Now, we don't own a boat, but a lot of times we'll go out on a boat, we'll watch dolphins, we'll go fishing. There is nothing better in life than a boat in the water. It is awesome. It is fun. But it becomes a dangerous situation when the water gets in the boat. And I think of our lives as Christians. We are in the world. We are salt and light. We are supposed to be influencing those around us. But when we start to let the world influence us, when we start to let the world get inside us, that's when we start to sink. Just like a boat that gets water inside of it. If you're in the water on top of it, you're doing great. But once the water gets into you, that's when you sink. As Christians in this world, it is great that we are in the world influencing and sharing God's love. But if we let the world influence and conform us, we are in a dangerous situation. That's why Paul said, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. The wisdom of this world is all about self. It's all about destruction. It's all about evil. Whereas the wisdom from above is completely different. It's about conforming my life to God's will rather than the will of this world. So let's talk about the heavenly wisdom. Wisdom from above. This is in verses 17 and 18. The origin, number one, we know it's from heaven. So it is from God. Praise the Lord. True wisdom comes from God. And then the operation, I love this. It's pure, it's peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. And then the outcome is peace that produces righteousness. You can see a vast difference of the wisdom from above compared to the wisdom of this world. In fact, when you look at verse 17, James is providing us a model for godly wisdom. He says that first off, wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure. Pure. That is really important. No one who allows impurity or sin in their life is wise according to God. You cannot live in sin and live a model of godly wisdom in your life. You need to understand that impurity and sin is not wise according to God. I always put it this way. Holiness is equal to happiness. Sinfulness is equal to sadness. If you want to live a happy life, live a holy life aligned to God's will and God's way. If you want to live a life that's full of pain, heartache, and depression, live a life in sin. Because even though it can be fun for a while, and let's not kid ourselves, sin can be fun for a season, it always leads to sadness heartache, and pain. The Apostle Paul put it this way, the wages of sin is death. 
And that is the key. So if you're going to choose wisdom from above, you have to start with purity. Purity is number one. It is the most important thing when you are living wisdom from above. The next thing is peace-loving. And I love this perfect order. You start with purity, then you go to peace. You know who that reminds me of? James' brother, Jesus. He said the very same thing. He said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Then after purity, he says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. You see, that's God's perfect order. Purity always precedes peace. There's some people who want to keep peace at any cost. That's not what James is saying. That's not what Jesus is saying. We don't compromise our purity just to keep the peace. For example, we don't lie to keep people happy, to keep things peaceful. That's not what James is saying. That's not what Jesus is saying. They are saying you start with purity, and then out of that purity, you offer peace. And we know what peace is in the Jewish mind. It's shalom, it's completeness, it's wholeness. The only way that can happen is if you start with purity. And then James says we start with purity, then peace-loving, then we're considerate. That means we're gentle, we're patient. In fact, if you remember the fruits of the Spirit, that's exactly what the fruits of the Spirit is. Gentleness, patience. And that is what James is saying. People who live according to God's wisdom are going to be considerate. They're going to be gentle and patient. Submissive. That means they're going to be easily obeying. If God tells you to do something, you don't argue with God. You don't sit there and delay your obedience. You are submissive to God's will if you are living with godly wisdom. Full of mercy and good fruit, a readiness to help people in trouble. I love what James says in chapter 2, verse 13. He says, mercy triumphs over judgment. There are too many people in this world who judge others, and we forget where we came from. I'm so glad that God didn't treat me how I deserved. He gave me mercy. He gave me mercy that was full of grace and love. I wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for God's mercy. And people who are full of mercy and have good fruit receive God's mercy and they share it with others. What did Jesus say in the Sermon on the Mount? Blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy. We are called to show mercy to people. Not 10%, not 50% of mercy, James says to be full of mercy, where mercy is overflowing in your life. Are you living that life of wisdom? Impartial, he's saying, don't show favoritism. Treat others fairly. We need to treat each other equally. And that's what James is saying. And then finally, he says that the peace that comes from above is sincere. It means without hypocrisy. It means someone who's authentic. It means if you claim to be a Christian on Sunday... You need to be a Christian on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday as well. And if you're not, you're not sincere about your faith. You are what James would call a hypocrite. That is it. And and can I tell you, I've talked to a lot of people who don't go to church. And I'll ask them, why don't you go to church? What, What happened? And they'll tell me heartbreaking stories of people who they knew when they were young that went to church that claimed to be a Christian, but just did not live that lifestyle. 
outside of the church. Board members, ushers, leaders in the church who claim to be a Christian but don't live it in their life. That's what James is saying we should not have. We should be sincere without hypocrisy and be authentic Christians. And then James closes this out by simply saying, you reap what you sow. I love verse 18. Peacemakers, which is another beatitude. You see James quoting his brother Jesus. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. Wisdom from above, not the wisdom of this world, but the wisdom from above is being at peace with God. And when I'm at peace with God, I can be at peace with other people in my life. It all begins with that peace with God. So if we sow peace, we reap that righteousness of being at peace with God and peace with others. Look at the outcome of the wisdom from above compared to the outcome of the wisdom from this world that we find in verse 16. Verse 16 says, the outcome of the wisdom of this world is disorder and evil, whereas the outcome of the wisdom from above is peace and righteousness. What would you choose today? It's your choice. Are you going to choose disorder and evil, or are you going to choose peace and righteousness? I think you can look at our world today, and you can see the disorder and evil that's abundant in our world. We need more Christians to live according to wisdom from above that is at peace and has righteousness in our life. I hope today, as you stand in this crossroad and you look at the wisdom of this world and you look at the wisdom from above, I hope today you choose the wisdom from above. The one thing I, I, I'll close with this, the question is, if you do choose to be, live a life of wisdom from above, how do you receive that? There's really four quick things that you can do to receive wisdom from above. Number one is fear the Lord reverently. We, we quoted this verse earlier. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10a. You see, when we reverently respect God, we stand in holy awe of him. The wisdom from above will help us live that way. It's a contrast to the wisdom of this world, which they, they are self-centered. The wisdom from above is God-centered. You fear the Lord reverently. The next thing is you need to know Christ personally. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30 says, it is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God. We need to know Christ personally in our life. You see, Christianity is not about religion. It's about a relationship with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. If we're going to live, live with wisdom from above, it begins with a relationship with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Then we need to read the Bible obediently, and I'll quote James on this one. James chapter 1, verse 22 says, Do not merely listen to the word, and so deceive yourselves, do what it says. When we read the Bible, I think it's a good uh, daily devotion to read the Bible each and every day. But if you just read it and you don't do what it says, that's not living wisdom from above. You need to be able to read the Bible obediently and do what it says. The final thing is pray to God humbly. Humbly. 
And I'll quote James on this one. And Pastor Jeremy mentioned this one when he was talking about overcoming temptation. James chapter 1, verse 5 says, If any of you lack wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. God's been really speaking to me about prayer. We need to be a church that prays. We need to be able to to really live this life of wisdom from above, like James tells us to do. We need to fear the Lord reverently, know Christ personally, read the Bible obediently, but we also need to pray to God humbly. Humbling ourselves, bowing down and kneeling to him. I saw this week one of my pastor friends actually posted something on Facebook, and it, it encouraged me, but it also convicted me. He was recently on a mission trip in Guatemala. And in Guatemala, their church has an altar, just like we do, but they have three rows of altars in the church in Guatemala. And what's amazing about those three rows is that every Sunday before the service and at the close of the service, people are lined up on those three rows of altars. In fact, if you look at this picture, you see this guy right here. He doesn't even have room at the altar. He has to pray by the window. And there's others over here that that they just don't have room. That's how many people are praying. Let me tell you, they are living a life of wisdom from above because they're demonstrating it in their life. And I think of our church here in the United States. There's some churches who are actually taking altars out of the church because they just simply don't use them. And a lot of Christians think, well, the altar is for a sinner who needs to come here and repent. Absolutely, that's what that altar's for. But it's also a place for believers. In fact, one of the terms for an altar was the believer's bench, where a believer comes down and cries out to God and says, I'm desperate for you, Lord. I can't live my life without you, Lord. I need you every hour I need you, every moment I need you, every second I need you. And that's what these altars are for, to humble ourselves, to say, I don't have it all together as a pastor. I need some time with God. To say, I don't want to be influenced by the world. I want to have wisdom from above. To say, Lord, I love you. Thank you for the grace and mercy you've bestowed on my life. Help me, Lord, to be salt and light and share your love with other people. That's what this altar is for. Is it for a sinner who needs to repent? Absolutely. But it's for a believer as well. I guarantee you, these are Christians who are living their life according to the wisdom from above. So to close this service out, and maybe no one will join me, and I'm just going to open this altar up. If you just want to come here and pray, maybe you have a need in your life that you just want to lay at the foot of the cross. Maybe you just want to tell God you love him. You're thankful for his grace. Maybe you just want to ask God to help you live that life according to wisdom from above instead of wisdom of this world. 
but whatever you want to do. We won't have any music, no long altar call, and I'm not going to tarry that long, but if you want to join me at this altar, it's open. There's a front pew. If you can't kneel, I know not every one of us can kneel because of our knees. There's front pews up here, but there's something about humbling yourself before the Lord and saying, Lord, I need you. I need you. Not my will, but thy will be done. Not self-centered, but Christ-centered. Help me, Lord, to be your light in this world of darkness. Help me to be in this world, but not of the world. Help me to conform no longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of my mind.